As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For me, it was a real privilege to have Alex McLeish, a proper hero of mine, as the guest for the second ever Big Interview Live, which we recorded at the I Write Book Festival in Glasgow. It was also our fortune that the event fell immediately after Barca pulled off one of the great comebacks in football history, erasing a 4-0 first-leg deficit to Paris Saint-Germain by winning 6-1 at the Camp Nou in what was just a remarkable Champions League match. Neither of us could pass up the opportunity to talk about that game for the first part of this podcast and to uncover, or at least try to, what it is specifically that allows the very best players to win and keep on winning. Alex then took us back to his formative years as a footballer, the constructive criticism from his father which drove him on, playing games constantly at a local pitch, and later training with his Aberdeen teammates in the car park opposite Petodri. Training in the car park on what was horrible, hard, red blaze still good enough for that lot to conquer Europe. The Dandy Dons, of course, feature heavily in this interview, and Alec talks about the success that he enjoyed at the club, including how they got the better of Bayern Munich. That's dramatic, believe me. He also relives a few of the blazing rows that Sir Alex Ferguson used to give his players. I think you'll enjoy this. Stay tuned. <laughs> Glasgow, hello, I write to um, hello, big interview listeners. It's a privilege for me uh, to be here. Uh, thank you for turning up. I feel a bigger privilege even standing here tonight with a hero of mine than I did sitting in the camp now last night watching um, the greatest European comeback of all time. And the only reason that I was there, the only reason I had the confidence to try for something like living in Spain and writing about football is watching... Um, Scottish excellence, watching Scottish ambition. Some of you saw Alec McLeish. Some of you have only heard about him 
as a footballer, some of you know him as a manager. I know him as a guy who, as part of an Aberdeen team, inspired me, showed me that everything was possible. He's become a guy who is part of what a group of, I don't know, 17, 18 players in the entire Scottish history who've won two different European trophies. He's a guy who um, saw us through against Bayern Munich um, into the final against Real Madrid. Copious trophies at Aberdeen, the second most capped player for Scotland, but talented as a manager too. He won <coughs> Rangers, their last ever treble. Well done, well done. Birmingham, their first trophy in a thousand years. Motherwell, second place in the Premier League at a time when if you went to watch Alec McLeish's side, you were guaranteed to watch brilliant football. He's repeatedly shown himself to be a guy of talent, class. He's a hero of mine. So, I don't know if he's listening on the other side of that door or not. Before we begin the interview, I'd like you to welcome on stage one of the all-time great footballers and football managers from our country, Alex McLeish. Now, that's, that's exactly what we should be hearing. <laughs> uh, Mr. McLeish, welcome back to your native city and welcome back to an adoring audience, although none of them love you as much as I do. Um, <laughs> um, let's not go local to begin with. We've, we've <clears> spent <throat> the day um, sharing stories and anecdotes, but both of our attentions, as, as I suppose many of you, were drawn back to something hypnotic last night. When, when I first um, began to understand a little bit more about you as a guy, rather than simply a footballer who I could see was clever and technically gifted and who could play in midfield or, or defence, players around you, and I won't name names just for the moment, you say, oh God, Alec was obsessed by European football in an age when there was no internet, when world soccer was your bible, and therefore, I'm absolutely sure that the magnitude of what happened last night in the camp now um, and, and the degree of attitude and, and confidence you saw in those Barcelona players above and beyond their ability must have struck you. Yeah, um, it's one of those moments right at the end of that game where you, you feel you've witnessed something spectacular that people will talk about forevermore. And... Of course, I mean, I was sitting watching the game with uh, my wife, Jill, and uh, I said, how many minutes added on? And I, I said, I think it's three. Jill said, no, I think that's five. He said, he said it's five. And I thought, well, it only takes a second to score a goal. It was something we always used in the dressing room, saying to the players, listen, guys, you go right to the very last blow of the referee's whistle. And as, as we say, it only takes one second to score and thinking back to the year when Rangers won the treble and I was the manager, I helped to win that. The, the Dunfermline game was typical of what we saw last night. So when you watched that last night, so for anybody who hasn't followed it, but I bet every one of you have, Barcelona are atrocious in Paris, lose 4-0. I mean, atrocious. But Paris Saint-Germain, Alec, in the first leg, are very, very good. And the words before last night's tie are, are convincing. The manager and one of the premium strikers, Luis Suarez, Luis Enrique, both are saying, 96-minute game, we can do it, whatever. But they went into it, and I, I didn't think played 
blindingly good Barcelona football. They were competent, they were good, they've got brilliant individuals. But when you're watching it, I'm not asking, did, did you see it coming? But when it's come to that um, 87th, 88th minute, did you have any idea watching body language, either of Paris Saint-Germain or Barcelona, had you thought, can't happen, might happen? Why were you still watching? Yeah, well, at times in the game, I, I, I was kind of flirting between, you know, maybe a, another room in the house and then coming back and watching because I, wa I wasn't entirely convinced that Barca were going to do it. Although PSG did look a bit scared. The first yeah. leg, uh, Barcelona looked like a busted flush. I thought watching that game, the 4-0 drubbing they got in Paris, that they're a busted flush. You know, they need to change things now and it, and it is... A, Time for change, and with Louis Enrique telling everybody he's leaving at the end of the season for one thing. But then, uh, you know, there was little pieces of the game where they were getting close and they were getting into the dangerous areas. And then, of course, the Neymar free kick was just out of the world. It's, in, in the madness of what happened at the end, it's kind of been lost that usually Messi takes it, they left it to him. He strolls up to it, knocks it top corner. Yeah. He's so, well, I'm speaking where you should be speaking, but he's built like a matchstick man. Yeah. From that distance, to put it in a corner where Trap doesn't even look at going for it, I, I don't even know how that's possible. Special skill, you know, that's, the, that's why they pay the type of money they do for these, these kind of players. You know, when we talk about, I remember visiting Arsene Wenger, who's topical at the moment as well. Mm. 2006, um, I spent a week with him at St Albans, the, the training ground there, and uh, I said to him, what do you think makes a great manager, Arsene? And uh, he kind of looked a bit furtively and he says, great players. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and in the end, I think uh, a manager's job, regardless of the quality you have, is to get, it's to be a leader, is to get the best out of everybody at the club. And that, that doesn't just mean the players, it's your staff, it's, it's the... You know, the internal staff as well. But you, you, okay, I mean, you're not joking about what Wenger meant there, and I think talking about topicality, it may not be evident to everybody who's watched Pep Guardiola, because some in the media, whether it's me or other people, may have painted a picture that Guardiola is some sort of magician. But certainly throughout his entire career, and at Barcelona, that's his mantra. Players, best players, good players. Yeah. But drawing from what you said there and, and, and last night, Great players aren't simply the technically gifted ones or the, or the clever ones. Something about last night that proved that they, they weren't the busted flush that I agree they looked a couple of weeks before relates back to what I saw in you, your teammates, but also in you. Where does the drive come to be competitive all the time, no matter how good you are? You're a very good footballer, clever in your trade, but winning all the time isn't just a habit, it's, it's attention to detail. It's something inside. And I think I saw last night something that I saw when I watched you play. I mean that, like that. It doesn't come easy to, to be at your best, to fight complacency, to fight rust. Keeping winning is, is not solely about ability. Yeah, it's a mentality thing as well. And, and you know, at the age of uh, 13, 14, there was a few of the guys in, in the boys club, which I played at, were getting signed up on S forums. At that time, they were called S forums. Now you get youth academies and stuff. But it was S forums, and I think these, these guys are all getting clubs ahead of me. 
But it never broke my spirit. And, I, and I'm, uh, I said, I'm going to keep going every week, keep playing football, play as many games as I can, learn, learn the game. I think you learn most by playing. Uh, I met with Zola a few weeks ago in, um, in, in the Middle East, and he said that it, it was just played all the time and horrible pitches, and that's where he learned all his skills. But, um, you know, for me, I kept going, going, and then I took a stretch between 15 and 17, three or four inches, and all of a sudden I was getting offers left, right and centre. And, and it's that, um, you know, never give up, never say, say die. Where's that from? Well, I think that came, you know, we talk about role models. I think my mother and father were great role models. My dad was the, the guy who drove me, moaning all the time. I used to, after a game, sometimes fall out with him and I'd be walking 500 yards ahead of him up the road and I'd walk in, my mother was waiting for me. Well, did you win, son? And I says, bloody him, you know? And, and she'd, she'd say, are you shouting at the win again, you know? <laughs> why, why would he have done it now, if, but, looking back? But, but I, let, let me qualify what, what that actually did for me was when she had given me my sandwiches, you know, the bacon and egg sandwiches, for my lunch, I'm sitting there and I was actually thinking about what he was saying and I'm, I'm saying he's right, he's mm. absolutely right because of the things he was saying were pretty uh, constructive, you know it wasn't just uh, moaning at me for the sake of moaning but we always had that competitive spirit Give us an example and what, what might he say about you let's say either in a, in a game where you, you know you've maybe not for one reason or another played your best or you think you've played really well and you've won, but he's still got something to pick at. What might he have been saying to you? It was, it was small detail, you know, streetwise stuff. You know, for instance, um, you, you know, when you see you see a, a game now and, and, and a ball bounces before the centre-half should, should actually go for it. A simple thing like, don't let the ball bounce, son, you know, mm. and go and meet the ball, you know, that stuff like that. And, and it, that it all... When you learn that at a very young age, it stays with you forever. What surfaces did you play on? Did you play street football? Was street it always football. grass? Did you play on blaze? Played street football, but we played up the field. We had a field, lucky enough to have a field full of cow shit, you know, but <laughs> when, it, when I come home, we played playtime in the morning, lunchtime, playtime. I came home, I'd throw my school bag in and I'd say to my mum, Mum, get out the field to play football. Get out of bloody school. Close <laughs> off first. But no, I would just charge right up there and uh, we'd, we'd play football in the fields. You don't, you know, we don't have that kind of environment nowadays for the younger kids. Why? But also, well, because, um, you know, there's, there's no street football. Obviously, the, the, the you know, New technology took over. Everybody's got a car now. You can't go and kick a ball against the stairs in the street anymore or play any street football. So they've tried to adapt. You know, the, the Dutch came out with the small-sided games um, and, th and that to try and um, encourage technique. So, you know, we, we tend to copy other countries, but we've still got qualities of our own if we could just marry the two together, which is what I felt Alec Ferguson did with us in, in the, that really successful Aberdeen area. Well, OK, um, now that you've thrown that at me, can I, can I have confirmed what I believe, what I remember is the truth, because memories sometimes lie when you get this old and when you've been out as often singing karaoke as I have. The car park opposite Pataudry, 
No, oh, there you are. That was Ash, remember? I remember. Well, we it played was brutal. <laughs> the guy who told me was the subsequently the press officer at Bayern Munich, who was the first ever press staff in German football, and he was appointed at Bayern Munich a couple of weeks before the draw that pitted yourselves and Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals of the 1983 Cup final. And he gets sent from Munich, um, this fella, over to Aberdeen, which he already didn't think was a particularly glamorous posting, <laughs> to try and get some reports on Aberdeen. And uh, he turns up and he tells me he was standing in the pissing rain, a freezing cold March, leaning on the railings on the Aberdeen car park, immediately opposite Pitodri. All you players who are about to go and win European medals are running around what I remember to be rotted, dangerous, brutal, chopped up blaze that the cars come in and you know run over yeah. and then churn up. Every... What was it like that that like to train on? And, and when Bayern Munich watched you, I tell you, they were like, <coughs> yeah. "Fuck are these people?" Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 the truth. It, it honed my exceptional skills. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. That's what I think it did do. <laughs> well, it did, you know, it was because the ball moved faster and the ash and, you know, we, we mastered the technique of going away from home in Europe and playing really good possession football and then coming to Petaudry and absolutely steamrolling them, you know, we, we, with um, high tempo performance. But that was ridiculous conditions. So yeah. presumably, what I'm, I think what I'm asking is, well, well, it, the it, bounce must have been your rotten. Touch. Yeah, yeah. So you had to make sure your touch was good. So when we came to the luxury of a grass park on a Saturday, then your, your touch was perfect because you're, you're able to control it in, in pitches such as that. Then I think Argentina kids grew up in similar kind of circumstances with these these ash pitches and rutted, you know, rutted um, car parks and stuff. So your competitive spirit came from within, from your dad, from being pushed by your dad. But I suppose there's a sort of um, a, a perfect moment when, when you blend in with this brutal fighting spirit that your new man, well, your mm. third manager at Aberdeen has. It was, yeah, yeah. McLeod signed you. Ali McLeod was um, manager in year one and he famously took the Scotland job, he galvanised, he was, he was a great galvaniser, Ali, and he was brilliant at training, he used to wind the players up and he had some good tactical stuff, you know, like everybody run out a corner and leap, play them offside, there was some, some crazy things you would think if you've seen it nowadays, but they, they worked in that particular era. Then he took over Scotland, he, he had us all believing we would win the World Cup. And, and he actually, in a brilliant interview, they said to Ali, Ali, what are you going to do after the World Cup? And he says, retain it. <laughs> <laughs> but just so that if anybody's young enough not to have seen what Alex's talking about, didn't, didn't we as a country do a lap of honour before we left for the World Cup? I think Cup? we did, eh? <laughs> yeah, and, only, only and, and I think we get gobbled by England that day as well, didn't we? Yeah. Thanks, Ali. 
Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And then your second manager is, is a man that we hold dear. He was, is a Celtic legend, but he was... Cherished at Petodre, even though he only spent one year there, Billy McNeil. Just one year, Billy had a really, you know, relatively successful, I think it was, we were runners up in every competition. I played one game under Billy, and, and that was January 2nd. How, 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 how did that come about? I, that was an interesting story, yeah, but probably a few of, a few of you might not, but um, I was called into the first team squad over the festive period, and... New Year's Day, we were in training, and the game was on the second against Dundee United at Petaudry. And I walked in, and Billy McNeil was waiting for me at the front door, and I said, Happy New Year, boss. He said, Happy New Year yourself, son. You're playing tomorrow. <laughs> I went, what? You know, all of a sudden, I was a nervous wreck, and uh, the adrenaline was flowing. And uh, it was... Graham said that everybody in Petaudry knew the reason why I was playing, but we two, two of the centre-backs had misbehaved the night before. Billy McNeil said, embargo, nobody out, nobody celebrate New Year, we've got a game in the second, want you in your bed before midnight, and no, 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 Hence the sound not effects. out on the piss. Yeah? <laughs> the, the, I've added sound effects just to build the bigger picture. Aye, that's, aye. Uh, um, Pino Grigio. Fan of the podcast, lovely man, brilliant defender. H hello, Willie Garner. <laughs> Willie Garner and Bobby Glennie had, um, had the misdemeanour of... of um, Couple of sherries. ...going out for a wee bevy, and they, 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 I think the legend has it that they phoned Billy around about midnight wishing, <laughs> wishing him a happy new year. And they, <laughs> you see, team spirit, bad decision, team spirit, bad and decision. And he could, he could hear the slurring in their voices, you know, and uh, he decided there and then to play me the next day. Played against them D-United. I had Willie Muller marshalling me brilliantly, as, as, as he always did. Although I did get a broken nose for my, um, you know, pain over the years. And, and um, we beat United 1-0. 25,000 crowd at Petaudry. 
And I said, that's me in the first team now. And uh, Big Billy on the Thursday said, listen, I'm bringing the two back and they're experienced players. You've served a punishment. You've had a great start to your career. I want to blood you. And at the time, I, I was calling him everything. But then I realised, you know, as I grew older and, and became a coach myself, manager myself, then it was good management. And it really served me well. You know, he may have plunged me in. I could have had a couple of setbacks and not had the confidence to go forward. But it set me up beautifully. The, the thing that happens, and I, and I have to accelerate, because talking about your competitive spirit, mixing with that third manager that you have, Billy moves on, goes back to Celtic after the defeat in the Scottish Cup final. Alex Ferguson comes in. And how quickly did you realise that he wasn't just an intimidating figure, that he had some of the same spirit as you, and how quickly did the two of you uh, click? Because well, he, he didn't click with your defensive partner. He didn't. Uh, he, you know, I, I didn't really realise immediately the impact of him, because I was still kind of uh, playing in the reserve team at that time, you know, the, after Burley had uh, moved on. But I knew that this, that year was, was going to have to be a breakthrough season for me. So I never knew what was going on behind the scenes with the first team players, but Sir Alex um, was comparing the Aberdeen players to his former players at, at St Mirren. You know, he was, for instance, comparing um, Wally Muller to Jackie Coughlin, um, John Hewitt to, to Frank McGarvey. Stuart Kennedy to the, the right back at St Martin. Can't remember the name, the names at this time. But the players were miffed at that. They felt, oh wait a minute, we we feel we're better players than that. Jackie Cole was a superb sweeper, very likely actually. And of course we know what Frank McGarvey did in the game. But our players were it took a huff on it, and uh, they they kind of you know rebelled a little bit. And uh, but Alec Ferguson very quickly recognised it, and he. he he started to manage it in a different way, which was a, obviously a great sign of, of his skills as a coach. Because he wasn't set back on his heels many times as a man manager. It did happen later after the cup final, but yeah. that, to learn that early, yeah. I've made a mistake, to accept it, to be beaten by his players, which at Manchester United he would never have allowed. Mm -hmm. Whether he was right or wrong, he'd have made sure he was right. In this instance, he just switched. Yep, he switched. He switched, and, and all of a sudden, the, the players took to him, the, and they, they kind of found it in, in his management. You know, it wasn't an instant success, but the, the way that he, he, he was against some streetwise stuff. You know, when we go to Glasgow to play Celtic, to play Rangers, rush for the ball when it goes out for a throw-in. You know, again, this is the streetwise stuff. Rush for the, the, the ball, and because every team tries to waste time at these grounds. And they know that, and they smell that. And so they, they know that you're, you're weak, and they'll go for your, your throat after that. So, you know, we, we kind of thought that as well. You know, you don't really rush things at Ibrox and Celtic Park, you know, when you're, you're in a away game with 50,000, 60,000 crowds. So we did start to do it quickly, and all of a sudden you could see the body language of the Rangers players, the Celtic players, and you, you could see that they were unsettled a wee bit, just with that little small detail, you know. So what about things like, okay, that's interesting, because it's clear that Sir Alex Ferguson didn't invent any of the spirits that you all had. There was a group of hard-nosed guys who wanted to excel, but things like training in front of the jungle, or yeah. was, did Degrevy do that on his own? Were there things that he did about referees, about yeah. away fans? 
the tunnel. How did you approach those situations in the old firm games away? We were always aggressive. We, it was always, um, you know, heads up, chest out. You know, when you're in that tunnel, no, no, don't have the wrong body language. So, you know, obviously quite normal when you you're talking to a, a team anywhere. But it was def we definitely had that attitude. You know, Paul Kane, we played uh, Hibs in a final, uh, and we we put Hibs away in that game three 0 I think a League Cup final. Paul Kane said he remembered standing in the tunnel, looking at his teammates, and then looking at us, and he said. God, he's all looked about seven foot six, you know. He said, uh, just looking at the Aberdeen team in that tunnel. So the, the game was won for us in the tunnel. Here's a, here's a, little, a, a little theme. Alex sparked off something that um, Darren Fletcher said to me about um, the Fergie era. When Percy signs for United and he trains for two months at United and he comes to him and he says, at Arsenal, we used to wonder. We couldn't understand why you would always beat us, why we were never quite... And he said... Two months here, and I understand. I mean, it's him. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. That echoes to me what Paul Kane said to you about it was all of you doing it. Yeah. But it's, if it's not under his spell, that's the wrong phrase, but mm -hmm. you, you all bought into a mentality, actions, decisions. Yeah. Things like, okay, I'll go back to what I said about. Maybe Dubuque's a, a wee exception. Did, did, did Duke go and train in front of the jungle on his own, or was that Alex? Yeah, no, Rugby was uh, a law unto himself. You know, he, he, he would have taken on the, the whole of the Celtic end, you know. <laughs> if, and if, won? And in fact, I think he did. Some geezer ran on in a Celtic game and went to attack wee Gordon, and Big, Big Doogie was activated, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Robo, big, big Robocop. <laughs> but, but, but there was, you know, in that tunnel, you know, in the tunnel against uh, Bayern, in, in the tunnel against um, Real Madrid, you know, we, we, always, we were always loud and, uh, you know, would you call it arrogant, but it was just loud to try and unsettle the other, the, the other team. And there was a brilliant, uh, the, we played Bayern, drew 0-0 in Munich, a great performance, very calm and collected. And next day, the players are all rushing for the papers, the German papers, to see how many stars they got. You know, you, there's always that selfish thing. You say, right, I, want to, I played great last night, so probably got about eight or nine, you know. So anyway, they, but we noticed that the, the German goalkeeper, Moller, was um, very vociferous in this, this little piece in the paper. And we asked one of the guys to translate it for us. And he's reading it, he started laughing. He said... Um, Yes, it's funny, Moller, he's saying that um, when we were in the tunnel and the two teams were, were doing their stretches and he says, I knew we were going to be in for a very tough game when I saw that not one of the Aberdeen team had a full set of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, you know who he was looking at? That was Big Rugby, you know, so... Big Doogie gave them the smile, we're like... So the nil-nil takes you two. back there, though, because this was the theme that, that made me think of introducing us with the bus on a fight back, because, I mean, it was OK last night, but it, it was nothing on Pataudry in 1983. <laughs> no, that wasn't a joke. The Bayern game? The Bayern game, and because it's all very well drawing nil-nil, and I've seen an Alex Ferguson team go to Monaco 
everybody celebrate and come back and go out one one at Old Trafford. Trezeguet scores, they're out of the Champions League in, 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 in a crucial time. And, and, and Bayern go 1-0 up. And, and from a fan's point of view... Yeah, it's over. It looked... They looked big. They looked clever. They passed yeah. well. They were physically as, as determined and big as, as I'd ever seen at Yet nothing got in any of your psyches. You, you, yeah. you seemed to always know the next goal was coming. What was the reality of what that felt like to go 1-0 down, 2-1 yeah. down? What was happening? Well, you know, you know, when you... Actually, Bayern players after the game in Munich said, OK, it's 0-0, but we'll score in Scotland. And Alec Ferguson's team talk was simple. He said, that, listen, doesn't matter if they score in Scotland, you've got to score one more than them. And that, he says it's not a, a case of getting um, a draw here. You've got to win this game. And it doesn't matter how many Bayern score, one more than them. You've got to get it. And they did score, and you kind of felt the energy draining from the crowd. And then we equalised. They scored again, 2-1. And then we did... Let's a... slow down a minute or two, OK? So if scores, it's 2-1. I was never that fast. No. We're out. <laughs> We're out. How, how do we get back into that tie? Yeah. Second by second. First of all, it's a free kick, right? Yeah. A free kick which I'd seen used at Aberdeen before. The, the previous year, Scotland scored against New Zealand in the World Cup with this. First of all, tell us about that free kick situation. How Aberdeen played it, who came up with the idea, who's involved? Well, it was up to and. Fergie or Sir Alex uh, that came up with it and um, I better not call him that or I might get back to him as any pals in here if I call him Fergie. Uh, normally he says, did you go to school with me? You can only call me Fergie. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they gave us this free kick. We had a couple of good ones, you know, we scored in the, the final against Real Madrid. We had a rehearsed free kick as well. And, um, but this, this one, we were in the training field a couple of days before the game and rehearsing this, and it was Gordon Strachan and John McMaster get into a kerfuffle. They kind of argue with each other, and Gordon quickly puts it in when the team are, Bayern Munich team are, are not settled. And they're, they're thinking, oh, they've, they've messed this up. So we're, we're all on the alert, you know, and we, we get the goal. But trying it in training, it was like a disaster. You know, because the players were all laughing, going, I'll never can work, boss. <laughs> I'll never work, no chance. But the thing I don't... Just is... try it, right? You know, so... <laughs> you've, got, you've, got, you've got an absolutely brilliant left-footed player who's in the house tonight, John McMaster. How did Gordon get to take it? I don't understand the story. Oh, it was, it was from that side of the pitch. If it had been the other side of the pitch... Where's Johnny? John McMaster, my roommate, my, John, my roommate for many, many years. John had a, a left foot that, as they say in Glasgow, could, you could open a tin of peas with. Messi borrowed it from so, him, so, I think. So if it would have been from the other side, John would have been the guy okay. to, to, okay. to lift the ball. And okay. those two were, were the, the most capable. The idea is to bump into each other. It's yeah. a kind of Laurel and Hardy scenario, yeah. isn't it, effectively? I mean, it was a terrible ball for Gordon, but... <laughs> I so managed to get my in? head in the end of it, you know. Who scores it? Um, a guy who rarely scored, uh, but they were always important ones, McLeish. When you see it coming over, what are you looking at? In a situation <laughs> like that, what are you looking at? The, the man there, the keeper, the ball coming oh, yeah. across. I want oh, yeah. to know the minute. Oh, no, it's, 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 it was an amazing moment because 
John and, and uh, Gordon, you know, they go and they, they, they kind of have a wee argument with each other, you know, like for a second. But Gordon quickly latches onto the ball and just curls it into the box. And we, we're kind of giving it that, uh, we, we, we didn't know this was happening either. <laughs> <laughs> So the Germans are, you know, they're all giving, the Germans are, ah, but we're already on the alert and, and I'd kind of gone inside the, the marker and got a clean head to it and all of a sudden it was two each and then as, as my wife and I were watching that game last night saying it only takes a second to score a goal. So the camera was focusing on me um, when, Bayern, when Bayern were re-sent him. But meantime, we had attacked him again, pressed him, took the ball off him, and five seconds later, it was 3-2 for, for Aberdeen, and John Hewitt scored the winner. And those two goals were within a minute of each other. It, it, it felt important to talk about that, not just because it was a glorious night for Aberdeen, but with that spirit, to, to win like that against that great team, after a year before Hamburg, had, with Franz Beckenbauer playing, you're playing against Rummenigge, Breitner, Augenthaler, all-time German greats that night. There's a lot of young people in here, so you've got to Google these names, guys. Oh. All right, in that case, irrespective of the fact that Aberdeen's my passion, on that night, um, you're watching some of the all time... Germany might be the number one footballing nation, irrespective of Brazil, if you think about club and country. And you're talking about a handful of the all-time great German footballers. And, and you beat them. Yeah. Now, that's a combination of skill, and Sir Alex Ferguson's coaching moments. But aside from qualifying and the next round's coming and you're on in the Cup Winners' Cup, what was the level of personal satisfaction of sticking it to them? Because you'd grown up adoring continental football, mm -hmm. buying world soccer, and, and determined to make your mark not just domestically, but on European football is my yeah. impression. Definitely, yeah. We, we took a kick in off Liverpool in 81 in the, the um, European Cup. But we learned a lot from it, and we, we, we did get some, some beatings in Germany, even 3-0 in um, Kaiserslautern or... Frankfurt? No, uh, aye, Frankfurt, yeah, yeah. and, and we, we went at Pusaudry, but not enough to, to go through. But these were valuable lessons, and we were getting better all the time. We knew we were getting better, and Sir Alex's drive was relentless, you know, it was... You knew that if you made a mistake on the pitch, he would tell you you were doing it the whole game, you know? So he vowed not to make a mistake, you know? And, and, and obviously, that unfortunately, mistakes do happen, and then you know that you're going into a dressing room and he's going to come for you. Uh, and it just made... You couldn't get away with it nowadays because they, they, they're so fragile, the players are so sensitive, they go to pieces now. You know, but we we were of an era, and I'm not saying that that's that's wrong. But we were of an era where we we knew that the criticism was coming, and you had to make sure it didn't happen again. Gordon Strachan and he um, had you know a really volatile relationship. So not to put words in your mouth, but Gordon in this series of interviews talked about you know he wouldn't have missed it for the world, mm -hmm. but he he said it was psychological torture, yeah. and 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 it had genuinely impacted on him. He, he played well, he'd stood up to it, but it, you know, it's not a funny subject. It was, no. it was more full on than probably anybody here understands. Yeah, I got, you know, Gordon, um, 
being a one of the creative players. Defenders, kind of, we didn't get the, the wrath of the gaffer as much as probably the, the creative guys. You know, Gordon, we, we were 2-0 down in Romania and and uh, Sir Alex came in and he hammered the cups all over the place and he smashed over me and Willie Miller's head. And, and uh, he said to Gordon, what are, you, what are you doing out there, striking? You know, he said, you're like a circus act. He said, for Barnum, Barnum and Bailey, you know, and Stuart Kennedy was one of the kind of intelligent guys in, in the, the dressing room, and Stuart is going, ah, you know when he said that, Barnum and Bailey? He said, I, I was actually thinking, like, I don't think any of the players know who Barnum and Bailey are. <laughs> he, he said, and, and Stuart's telling me this at half time, and I'm saying, we've got a game to win here, Stuart. He says, <laughs> He says, aye, but, he says, but, <laughs> but he'd have been better saying Billy, <laughs> Billy Smart. <laughs> he says, because what for these idiots in here think that Barnum and Bailey's a, a, a solicitor's firm? <laughs> <laughs> Shall we, wait, wait, with an attitude like that, how come Stuart is actually one of the few players that Fergie didn't fear, but adored, respected? Aye, yeah. Was it a kind of... Trade union background. At the I think shop, it was a trade union. Shop Stewart uh, thing. They, they worked together. Because he wouldn't have messed with Stuart, I don't think. They worked together at Falkirk. Well, he did try to mess with Stuart as well because he, he, he famously kept us, he told us to come in on the Sunday. We, we drew with Dundee United one each and he wasn't happy about it. And play, some players were go, wanting to go home to Glasgow. And he says, not everybody's in the Mora. So there was a big rumpus. And he started off with Big Jim. And he told Big Jim that he was a blind alcoholic. <laughs> Qualify that by saying Jim, Jim actually was, was um, starting to wear contact lenses then. So, you know, we well remember the Wales one where he famously lost um, uh, his contact lenses looking for them in the, the Welsh game where we went through to the World Cup finals in 1986. But, um, yeah, so, so Big Jim, and the alcoholic bit came from when at that Dundee United game, Jim got dropped off in, at Great Western Road and the bus went back to Petaudry. Fergie gets in his car and drives back and he, he drives down Great Western Road to get to his house and he sees big Jim going across the road with a car out of, you know, like tenants bag or something. And he, and he says, how am I an alcoholic? He says, I saw you last night with your cans and all that, you know? And Jim, Jim said, my dad, my dad was up for the weekend. I was just getting some cans for my dad. So he was a blind alcoholic. <laughs> then he started with Stuart Kennedy, and it was unbelievable. He, he was going at Stuart, and Stuart was going back at him for one hour solid. <laughs> and when he finished with Stuart, he says, a lot of you is, fuck off home. <laughs> So we will, we'll get Stuart to thank Thanks, for that. Thanks, Stuart, yeah. exactly, aye. Because Stuart wouldn't have let it go. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket. You can keep up with everything that we do within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future Big Interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. 
That grahamhunter.tv site is also where you can buy the new updated version of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. It's my account of the Guardiola era at the camp now, from 2008 until 2012, plus Tito, Tata and Adios Johan Cruyff. It is in all good bookshops now, but it does also make a big difference to all of us who've worked on the project if you choose to buy direct at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books. You'll be sure to get the new edition and you will be helping us to continue producing independent content. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.